Amen. Amen. Well, before uh, Pastor Paul brings the word, we're going to pray together. But I just can't get off my mind. I thought when you stood up and just were praising the Lord, it's so beautiful. It's just so beautiful to me. And, and I felt like, I just feel like the Lord just feels like that's so beautiful. When we come in here and praise Him and worship Him and lift Him up. And, and you know, the Bible tells us that He inhabits the praises of His people. When we praise Him, He comes. He inhabits those praises. And so I just want to go on and pray now. Father God, we just come and we just thank you, God, that you're here in our midst, Lord. Father God, that, that you inhabit the praises of your people, God. And Lord God, we just thank you that you're moving on our behalf. Father God, that you know every life story. You know every situation. Father God, and I thank you that you're moving on our behalf, Father that you're with us, Lord, that you never leave us or forsake us, God. You're good, Lord, and you're holy. And we just come, Lord God, yielding ourselves to you. Father God, we ask you to have your way in our lives, Father, to have your way in our families, God. Father God, that you would have your way in this church. Thank you, Father. You're good, Lord. You're good and you're faithful, Lord. Now, Father God, we pray right now, Lord, that the word of the Lord would be in Pastor Paul's mouth, that we'd have ears to hear and hearts to receive, because, Father, we want to be changed by you. Have your way, God. Have your way, Lord. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 Welcome to Church on the Hill. We're all so glad you're here. Um, isn't God just awesome? Um, I, he, he, he just has a tendency of just catching me off guard every single week. You know, it's what he can do just so exceeds what we, what we believe that he can do. He can do so much more. Well, you can see we've cleared off the stage. Um, Connected is down. Um, you may be thinking, what are we doing next? Well, we're preparing for the next series. And I wanted to talk to you about it because I'm not going to start today. We're going to start next week. But I wanted to give you an opportunity to maybe invite somebody to this one. It's going to be called The Mistake Factor. And how many here has made a mistake? Whether they were your fault, whether they weren't your fault, whether they were a sin or not a sin. You know, you can make mistakes and it not be sin. I don't know if that really kind of stumps you a little bit, but it can. Right. I can go out here and run and fall down and not mean to fall down. And I didn't sin, but I fell, fell down and I hurt my leg or I hurt my arm. We make mistakes. And how many of your mistakes have, have affected your future? Anyone? Yeah. Well, we're going to be dealing over the next few weeks about how to deal with those mistakes and that God has factored in your imperfectness. That is part of God's plan. God's plan is not for you to sin, but he has given us a way to overcome that sin. He has given us a way to overcome our mistakes. And I've sent out an email to our leaders to be praying about maybe a testimony um, of some mistakes that maybe you've made that God has been with you and helped you to recover. Anybody here ever recovered from a mistake? God ever come through for you better than you ever thought it could be before the mistake? That is how God works. And I want to ask you to be praying, do you have that testimony? And if you do, we want to meet with you and we want to talk to you about it. And, you know, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of the testimony. So next Sunday... We're going to start the mistake factor. And if you've got some people, maybe they're in the church, maybe they're not in the church. Maybe they know God, maybe they don't know God, but they just cannot move forward because of something they've done. Right. 
That may be you. Well, let me tell you, you're going to get free. Because the blood of Jesus, the, the, the price that Jesus paid on the cross for us was enough for whatever it is that you've done. Right. It's enough, but we just need to receive it. So would you please be praying about your testimony and also be praying about bringing someone. Amen? Amen. So as we're preparing next week for that series, I have asked Pastor Justin to, to kind of take the pulpit. Let's hear a word from him. Give me a little bit of a breather and give you guys <laughs> a breather from me. And really, I just, I just want to hear him preach. Amen. We all all welcome Pastor Justin Grant. It is such an honor to know you guys and love you guys. I want to go through um, kind of quickly so we get out and actually spend some time uh, eating lunch. I want to talk to you today about that whole runaway and orphan spirit that we deal with. Everybody in this room at some point in time or in some area of our life is dealing with an area that we are avoiding God because we feel like a runaway or we feel like an orphan or God doesn't feel like that father to us. Um, and one of the unfortunate things, you don't have to go very far in the Bible to hit our first runaway. You know, we make it three chapters into, into Genesis, and we see something that's, that's going on. We see God manifesting himself, coming down from heaven and manifesting himself to Adam and Eve. And it says, in the cool of the day, fall is like my favorite time ever. And I will just go outside and just, ah, fall. And when that cool air hits you, it's a beautiful time. So I can really relate to this. And it says that God would walk in the garden during the cool of the day. But one day he came down and then where was Adam? Where was Eve? Adam and Eve had done something uh, that disobeyed God. They had sinned. They had walked outside of what God had wanted them to do in their life. And they realized uh, the wording on it's pretty amazing. It says that Adam looked at himself, saw that he was naked and he was ashamed. And so, you know your kids, when they do something wrong, they are the biggest giveaways ever. It's like, are you doing something wrong? No. I can see it all over your face. I can see the guilt and shame on your face. And so, God comes up to Adam in Genesis 3, says, Adam, where are you? And so, Adam calls out from the bush and was like, well, I heard you walking through the garden, and I was naked, and I was afraid. So I went and hid. And God looked at Adam and said, who told you you were naked? I didn't tell you that. You're getting information from another source. Who have you been talking to? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to? And then we see the effects of sin. In the third chapter of Genesis, we see what sin does is separate. We see sin destroys. Sin brings shame. The reason why sin separates and destroys is because that shame infects the relationship. And the person that sinned starts pulling away. So I have a question. If sin destroys, who's the one that pulls the trigger? If sin separates, who's the one that runs? If sin shames, who's the one that throws the stone? Our guilt is the thing that separates us from God. I've got a video to show you, and you can YouTube it when you get home. Uh, please don't YouTube it now. Uh, we're going to skip it. Just type in Denver gets in trouble or Denver eats the dog treats. It's the funniest thing to see this dog that knows that he's in trouble. And it's just, he just cowers away from his owner. It's like, Denver, did you eat all these treats? 
Go home and uh, YouTube it. It's, uh, it's pretty priceless. Uh, we're going to skip that, though. No, no, we don't care. So we see who's, who throws the stone first, and we find ourselves that it is Adam that withdrew. I'm the one that runs away. When I sin, when I make a dumb decision, I'm the one that starts hiding. And so we see that the source of rejection is never from God. God is not the source of rejection. We are the source of rejection. Does that make sense? And the reason why uh, we have that, uh, that rejection is that shame enters into our hearts and it creates a divide. I want to read a few verses out of uh, Romans 1. <laughs> Sorry. I want to read uh, some Romans uh, this morning. Um, we see God as being like this mental image of like Zeus up on his thundercloud with the lightning bolts or the, the galactic fly swatter that he is waiting for you to mess up. We think a lot of the times that God has these anger issues, that he really wants to love you, but he just really wants to hit you too. And like every area of our life, like we have to deal with that. It's like, okay, God's not about to hit me with a lightning bolt. Because we always hear these things, well, the wrath of God, well, the wrath of God, well, the wrath of God. And the wrath of God does not look like he, is, he has good days. And every century or so, he needs to, to let off some steam by like wiping out a country or something like that. He doesn't have anger issues the way that we have anger issues. And so when we look at the wrath of God, what does the wrath of God actually look like? Uh, Paul talks about it in Romans 1, says in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. So it's not like the wrath of God evaporates and we don't have to deal with the wrath of God anymore. It is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Well, does that wrath look like a tornado? Does that wrath look like uh, Hurricane Katrina wiping out New Orleans? No, what the wrath of God looks like is verses 24, 26, and 28. So God gave them over to uncleanness. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. And even as they did not retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. See, like as a son or a daughter in the kingdom, you have the right to be a son or a daughter, but you also have the right to run out of the house. God is not gonna force you into a right relationship with him. He respects you and he trusts your free will. He opens the doors to relationship to you. So the wrath of God revealed from heaven looks like we get our way sometimes. And I promise you that is more scary than fire falling from heaven or getting zapped by a lightning bolt. Like imagine what the, the terror that comes from a five-year-old going, you can do whatever you want. Can I eat nothing but Oreos? Yes. Malnourishment is in your future, but you are allowed to eat all the Oreos you want. Dad, can I leave? Yes. Malnourishment is in your future, but you are allowed to pick, pack up your belongings and leave. In Luke 15, we see the story of the prodigal son. And the backstory is that we have this snot-nosed little kid that says, Dad, I'm tired of living in the house. I want you to cash out all of your money and give me half of it. So the father does that, cashes out his, uh, his son's inheritance and gives it to him. And we see the son flee from the father's house. 
It says that he goes to a distant land and wasted his money on wild living. Bless you. And so we have all done this. If you are old enough to make a dumb decision, you have done this. You have said, God, I know that you want me to do certain things your way. I want to do things my way. So we leave the protection of God and we find ourselves sitting in a pig pen. Uh, Luke 15 says in uh, verse 17 that he sat there in the pig pen and he finally came to his senses. He realized, wait a second, the servants in my father's house are eating better than this. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up from here. I'm going to go to my dad and say, dad, I am so sorry. Against you and against heaven have I sinned. Like maybe he'll hire me on as one of his servants. So he gets up, goes to his father and verse 20 says, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, the father saw him. While he was still a long way off, the father saw him coming, filled with compassion and love, ran out, embraced him. And it says that he fell on his neck, kissing. When the son realized, wait a second, I don't have to live in this pig pen. Let me go home. Maybe my dad will hire me on as a servant and it'll still be better than this. When he came home, he realized that the restoration of relationship was far better than he could have ever imagined. It was better than he ever hoped. Because the father never left the front porch. He sat there knowing one day the darkness of the world is going to convince my son that he needs to come home. And one day his son sat there and said, I don't have to live like this anymore. Well, the problem with that is like what happens if they don't? Like, that's, that's the worst thing. Like, and in, in a lot of the kids in this house aren't in this house. We have fathers and mothers that their hearts are broken because their kids are making dumb decisions. Some kids are in the house, and they're still making dumb decisions. And parents think, what happens? What happens if they never come home? Well, God's got that covered. See, God is up in heaven, sitting on the front porch, planning ahead planning ahead to the eventual return of, uh, of his kids. We even see a widow woman talking to King David. She's lying to him during the process, but she says something in uh, 2 Samuel 14 that nails the heart of God. She's talking to him about his estranged son, Absalom. And he says, all of us must die eventually, and our lives are like water spilled out on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God does not just sweep life away. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back after we've been separated from him. So God is up there. He knows where you're sitting. Like everybody in this room, there's an area of every one of our hearts that we are avoiding God. We are acting like Adam and Eve. And God is up there not frustrated, not throwing lightning bolts around. He is planning. He's going, one day my kid's going to come to himself and realize that he is a son realize that she is a daughter and their place is not in the pig pen. He sits up in heaven and he devises ways for him to return. So even though that we see the father and Luke sitting on the front porch waiting, our heavenly father is not okay with being that passive. Our heavenly father is devising. And he knew that the weight of shame that we feel 
is worse than the prodigal that left, is worse than us sitting in the pig pen. The shame that we feel when we sin against God will eternally keep us separated. It's not like God's changed the locks on the door. It's not that he has kicked us out of heaven. We are refusing a relationship with God. And every time he shows up, because of our nakedness, we run and hide. And he wasn't okay with that. So he literally came down from heaven to prove to us that he would rather die than to allow that shame of sin to keep you from your birthright. He jumped in front of us. Instead of like sending us text messages like, hey, are you going to come home tonight? Hey, what's going on? He left the house, unlike the prodigal's father, and came and got us. Put us in the truck and drove us back to the house. So um, on that, just feel that. Feel that. I want to read a a few verses out of Romans. I want to read almost the whole chapter. I'm going to read it out of the message. Um, You know, there are verses in the Bible that once you read, it's like, oh no. Now that I've read that, like I can't unread that. I'm I'm now responsible for the truth that I read there. And sometimes it's like, we'll just just try to ignore that a little bit. Well, Romans 5 are, are a collection of verses that do that, but it's the opposite. The good news is so good that once it gets into your heart, it's like, I can't go back. It's like my grandmother's banana pudding. Like once you've had her banana pudding, no other banana pudding is is even near it. And the gospel of Christ is so good that once you taste it, you can't ever go back. So as I read this, if you feel the need to laugh or to shout or to cry or to dance, you just go for it because I might get a little teary. I might laugh a little bit and uh, probably won't dance, but you know. All right, Romans 5, starting in verse 1. By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, what has he always wanted to do for us? To set us right with him. To not only set us right with him, to make us fit with him. So that the, the Lord is not unequally yoked in our relationship. He has made us a fit match for Christ. He has made us fit with him. We have it all together. Do you ever feel like you have it all together? We have it all together with God because of our master Jesus, and that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown his doors open to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand. Have you ever been the unpopular kid in school and wished that the popular kids would invite you to the the lunch table? Have you ever gone out and said, I wish that person would talk to me. I wish I could be in a relationship like you. I wish that my family wasn't as dysfunctional as your family. I wish I had as much money as you. Well, we find in the, in the gospel of grace that we are standing in a place that we've always wanted to stand. All of our dreams have come true. This is fantasy island. Everything that could have happened for us happened for us. We are standing wide open in the, in the, we are standing in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. Have you ever wondered why people get into worship so much? We are standing tall, shouting our praise. There's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in by troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate pa- patience within us. And we know that that passionate patience in turn, forges the tempered steel of virtue. 
keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. So it's not like when we get attacked, we start doing the, oh no, oh no, what'll happen next? Because of the gospel of grace in our lives, we go like, did hell land in our, in our harbor? Yeah, he did. What's God gonna do to get me out of this? Hey, I'm sinking beneath the waves. Grace says, what is he gonna do? He is about to rescue me in a beautiful way. It forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In alert expectancy such as this, we are never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary, we can't round up enough containers to hold everything that God graciously pours onto us through the Holy Spirit. I can't figure out enough blogs to write to tell you what God has done in my life. I can't put it into a testimony. I can't put it into video announcements. I can't explain to you how good God has been to me. Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He, he didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. Have you ever feel or have you ever felt like you come up short in God's race? Have you ever felt that like no matter how high you jump, the hurdle just keeps on coming up? Well, God is the opposite of that. While we couldn't do anything to help ourselves, Christ did everything for us. He jumped every hurdle that we have ever needed to jump. He did it for us. When we were far too re uh, weak and rebellious to do anything to ourselves or to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyways. Have you ever said, God, I have no clue what to do. I have no clue how to please you. I have no clue how to do the right thing. Well, you're not alone. Everybody feels like that. I don't care how well put together anybody ever looks. None of us have a clue what's going on. So you're in good company. We can all understand uh, dying for someone uh, that is worth dying for. And we can understand how someone good and noble can inspire us to do selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death when we were of no use whatsoever to him. Now that we are set right with God by means of his sacrificial death, the consummate blood sacrifice, there is no longer a question of being at odds with God in any way. Anyway, there is not a question of us being at odds with God. There is no war with God anymore. If, when we were at our worst, we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrifice of his son, now that we are at our best, just think of how our lives will expand and deepen by means of his resurrection life. And now that we have actually received this amazing friendship with God, we are no longer content to simply say in plotting prose. We sing and shout our praises to God through Jesus the Messiah. Skipping on ahead. Here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did wrong and got all of us in trouble with sin and death, another person did right and got us all out of it. But more than that, he keeps on getting us out of trouble. He got us into life. So he didn't even rescue us from death. He planted us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. One man said yes to God and put many people in the right. All that passing laws against sin did was to produce more lawbreakers. But sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with this aggressive forgiveness that we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. 
All sin can do is threaten us with death and then that's the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything right together with, uh, putting everything together through the Messiah, invites us into life and a life that goes on and on, world without end. So we have messed up our lives. We have rejected God. We have run away. We have felt ashamed. We have avoided God. In every area of our life, we have to deal with this, where we feel the weight of shame and that weight of sin that, that keeps us from right relationship with God. Well, God fixed all of it because he wasn't satisfied with just being up in heaven alone. He would literally rather die than to keep you from your birthright. So I want you to think the thing that's kept you from God, that shame that's weighed in your heart, bring up all the idiot decisions that you've made in your life, all the different ways that you've ruined your life through drugs or any kind of addiction, through saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. I'm sure no one here has ever done that. Of losing your temper and ruining a relationship on ways that you feel that you may have failed your kids or ways that you feel that you may have failed your parents. Well, I'm telling you, God reverses every bit of that shame. Amen? Well, if you can go ahead and stand up and as our uh, prayer team comes forward, we want to give you an opportunity to remind yourself that God is not at war with you because of the cross of, Cal or the cross of Christ. It's not that we ascended the mountain of the Lord. It's not that we climbed up to heaven and stole salvation from his throne. He came down to give it freely, to give it to you. When you are at your worst, God said, I wanna be friends with that person. And now that we're at our best, think how much more he wants to be friends with you. Don't run away from a relationship with the Lord. You know, we at Church on the Hill believe that there is power uh, in our words when we confess truth over our lives. So if you feel that you've been left out in the cold, if you feel broken, if you feel estranged from your family or your friends, there is a provision for you to come back home. You don't have to live like a runaway anymore. You don't have to live like an orphan anymore. So I want you to, to tap the, the shoulder of your neighbor and just tell them, hey, this morning, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. There's nothing gonna stop me anymore. An awkward relationship is not gonna stop me from coming home anymore. Me feeling like I've messed up the world is not gonna stop me from coming home anymore. Drugs aren't gonna stop me from coming home. Adultery is not gonna stop me from coming home. There is nothing that has the ability to keep you out of God's presence. All you have to do is realize that you are a son and you are a daughter and your place is at the table, amen? Amen. Well, Father, we just ask for you to come in and make this true to us. We can say, all, uh, we can say that we're free and we're forgiven and there's nothing that's going to stop us. All we want. But Holy Spirit, we need you to reveal that truth to us, God. We need you to make it real to us. God, let that truth leap off the page, God, that as we open our doors to you, show us that you have already opened your doors to us, God and that you have placed us where we've always wanted to belong. And we bless you. I thank you. Sometimes it helps to have a friend to come home with. It's like, hey, will you hold my hand as I walk into this kind of awkward conversation with mom and dad? Hey, I need a buddy. 
We can, we can have the buddy system. And so we want to open up the altars with you this morning. If you've got sickness or disease, that is a product of a bad relationship with God. And that's been fixed too. There is nothing to stop you from coming home to perfect health, to come home to perfect uh, mental restoration. And so if you need a friend today, why don't you come up uh, to the altars and pray with our, our prayer team uh, as just kind of a, hey, will you hold my hand as I come home?